Hello, and welcome to the Beef Cattle Health and Nutrition Podcast, Episode 15. I'm your host, Dr. John Campbell from the Western College of Veterinary Medicine. Today, I'm going to try something a bit different than usual. I don't have a guest with me today, but I'm going to present a case from the case files of our disease investigation unit here at the University of Saskatchewan. The case is an example of how failing to vaccinate can result in disastrous consequences. Stay tuned. Before I get started with today's case, I should say a few words about the disease investigation unit here at the Western College of Veterinary Medicine. This unit helps veterinarians and producers across the province deal with unusual outbreaks of disease. We've been generously funded since 2007 from the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture, and we've carried out almost 250 investigations since that time. However, the unit was in existence for many years before that. Dr. Eugene Jansen was the founder of the Disease Investigation Unit and one of the principal investigators for many years, and I am currently organizing and directing the unit. However, many different faculty and graduate students contribute to the investigations from across the college, and of course, we heavily rely on our colleagues in the Diagnostic Lab, Prairie Diagnostic Services. A great deal of the funding that received goes towards doing more diagnostic work in these outbreaks. One of the main stipulations of using the unit is that the case has to be referred to us by a local veterinarian. Okay, that's the background. Let's get to the case. Today's case took place quite a few years ago, the summer of 2009 to be precise, and problems started occurring in mid-June of that year. The herd in question had only 80 cow-calf pairs, and they typically calve between March and April. The owner had not vaccinated either his cows or calves with any vaccines, and to paraphrase the owner's words, he never really had any problems, so he didn't see the need. The 80 cow-calf pairs had been split into three different pastures for the grazing season. On June 16th, the first dead calf was found on the pasture closest to home. Nothing was done as the producer thought it was just one of those incidental deaths that sometimes happens, but then on June 24th, the producer was walking that same pasture and he identified three sick calves. All three calves were very lethargic, reluctant to get up, but they didn't have any other obvious clinical signs. He treats all three calves with antibiotics, but on the next day he finds all three of these calves that he treated yesterday dead, and also finds a fourth calf dead on top of that. Later, while walking that pasture, he finds another sick calf which he treats, but it dies later that same day. Obviously, this producer is now pretty concerned that something significant is going on with all these two- to three-month-old calves dying, and he calls his local veterinarian. The veterinarian performs a postmortem on the last dead calf, and the only findings are evidence of an infection on the surface of the heart and the surface of the lungs. The local veterinarian recommended vaccinating all the cows and the calves with a viral vaccine that contained infectious bovine rhinotracheitis, IBR, BRSV, bovine respiratory syncytial virus, PI3 virus, parainfluenza 3 virus, and BVD virus. Those are the typical viral vaccines that most people should be giving to their cows. They also recommended that the calves and cows should receive a clostridial vaccine as soon as possible. By the end of June, the producer does manage to vaccinate the cows and calves in the home pasture, but he doesn't have great facilities or a lot of help for handling animals, and he just doesn't manage to get the cattle on the other two pastures vaccinated. So far, he's lost 7 out of 20 calves in total on the home pasture, and things there seem to be getting better once he has them vaccinated. However, now he's starting to have problems in pastures number two and three. It's the same scenario as the home pastures. These two to three month old calves are found dead, 
or if he does identify them as sick, they only last 12 to 24 hours and die despite treatment. By mid-July, he's lost 10 out of 24 calves on pasture 2 and 8 out of 33 calves on pasture 3. This is getting to be a disaster. It was now mid-July when I got the opportunity to visit the farm. We walked through one of the pastures that day and we found three more dead calves that had recently died and one dead cow that had probably died a few days previously. We also found another calf that was down and could barely get up and we ended up euthanizing that calf as well and did a postmortem on all four dead calves. The postmortem findings were pretty consistent with what the local veterinarian had identified. There was an infection on the surface of the heart for all four of the calves and some evidence of fluid or edema in the lungs, and some calves even had some inflammation or infection on the pleural surface of the lungs, but not an outright pneumonia. To be honest, when I finished the postmortems, I still wasn't completely sure of what the diagnosis was, and so I sent all the tissues to the diagnostic lab for further testing. Within a few days, the results were back, and the findings from the diagnostic lab confirmed one of my suspicions. This was confirmed as a black leg infection. The pathologist noticed that the heart tissue I had sent in had a distinct rancid butter smell, which, to be honest, I hadn't even noticed. From one of the calves, the diagnostic lab was able to identify the bacterium Clostridium chauvii, which is the bacteria that is commonly associated with the disease we call blackleg. Blackleg can actually be caused by a number of bacteria in the Clostridium family. Clostridium chauvii is the most common one, and that's the scientific name for this organism. All of the bacteria in the clostridial family can be found normally in the intestinal contents of ruminants. The clostridial bacteria have two other characteristics. They secrete potent toxins, and they also are able to form spores. This spore formation allows them to survive for years in the soil, and sometimes black leg outbreaks can occur because of soil disturbances such as floods or excavation. In addition, all of the clostridial bacteria like to multiply in low oxygen environments, and they all can produce very potent toxins that can kill an animal very quickly. Cattle inevitably ingest some of these clostridial bacteria when they're grazing, and in the case of Clostridium chauvii, the bacteria are deposited mostly in muscle tissues throughout the body. Some of the clostridial bacteria, such as tetanus, often require some sort of wound or damage to the tissue to activate, but the clostridial bacteria that cause black leg can activate without the presence of any sort of wound. The onset of disease is usually very sudden, and in my experience, most of the affected animals with black leg are usually just found dead or close to death. Black leg most commonly affects younger, rapidly growing animals from 6 weeks of age up to 24 months of age, but occasionally even mature cows can die of this disease if they aren't protected. The name blackleg is derived from the most typical finding of the disease. If affected animals are found still alive, they will often have a severe lameness, affecting the hind legs along with marked lethargy. You might identify swellings on the hip or the shoulder or other large muscle masses. Initially, the swelling might be hot or painful, and you might feel crackles or bubbles of gas. Typically, at postmortem, those large affected muscles may appear black and gangrenous with small gas bubbles, and they may have a rancid butter smell. In this particular outbreak, all of the calves had cardiac lesions. This is an infection on the surface of the heart, and this is a less common manifestation from an infection with Clostridium chauvii, but it's been well documented in several other outbreaks. Because of the rapid onset of severe symptoms and death, 
Treatment is rarely successful in blacklead cases. Prophylactic treatment with antibiotics might be helpful in an outbreak, but it's rare to identify cases early enough to have much success with therapy. In this herd, we had 30% of the calves affected, and all of them died. The clostridial bacteria are what we call ubiquitous organisms, or in other words, they're just found everywhere we keep ruminants. If we don't protect our animals with clostridial vaccines, it's almost inevitable that at some point we're going to see cases of clostridial disease. Fortunately, we've had vaccines available for the clostridial diseases for many years, and they're quite effective. Many of you will know these as 7-way or 8-way or even 9-way vaccines, as they protect against 7, 8, or even 9 different clostridial diseases, including some diseases such as blackleg, malignant edema, and redwater disease, just to name a few. The clostridial vaccines are quite inexpensive. They cost just a few pennies a dose, and they're one of the core vaccines identified by the American Association of Bovine Practitioners. The core vaccinations are defined as those that protect against commonly occurring severe diseases and are safe and efficacious to use in all animals and all herds. You should definitely be including one of the clostridial vaccines in your calf and young stock vaccination protocols, and many veterinarians will also recommend them as part of the cow vaccine protocol as well. I should add that these vaccines are all killed vaccines. They're either Bactrians or Toxoids, and they do require two doses initially to be effective, as well as annual vaccinations afterwards. Your veterinarian will be able to advise you on the best protocol for your own herd situation. As with all vaccines, you should also make sure you read the label, administer the correct dose in the correct format, and store these vaccines appropriately prior to use. The case I described today is a classic example of where a producer had to learn a rather expensive lesson that the core vaccines have been identified for a reason. The clostridial diseases are examples of diseases that occur everywhere there are ruminants. And if you don't vaccinate for these diseases, you'll inevitably have an outbreak at some point. That's our show for this week. Let me know what you think about this format of the podcast. We'll continue having guests for the majority of the episodes, but we will perhaps present a few more outbreaks from the case files of the Disease Investigation Unit in future episodes if the feedback is positive. Hopefully it was a useful learning tool. Thanks to our sponsors, the Alberta Beef Producers and the Beef Cattle Research Council. Take care till next time.